0: Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. On this episode, we are going to talk about the voodoo hoodoo. That's what's happening. The voodoo hoodoo juju. That's right. We're going to talk about that a little later in the show in our second segment. But first, I wanted to mention to Kathy, I'm sure you saw this, but Universal Studios has announced... Their first maze. Woo! Can you believe? Because we know July is I when know. everything starts. Well, we're getting close. I know. We're they're getting close. So they're now they're sending out teasers for the Universal Halloween Horror Nights. Right. So it's back. It's going to start September eighth, and the first one. And the reason why I thought of you was because it's Universal Monsters Legends Collide. Yes.
1: yes. I, I'll tell you we had some people on the discord last night asking about universal horror nights. This is one of the best mazes just because this is what universal is known for is their yeah. classic horror makeup
0: from a branding standpoint, like not from a, Oh, I'm going to get really scared standpoint. Although of course there are jump scares and such, but just from a open eyed fan of the universal monsters, just going through and seeing the art that they create is so is always really a great time. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not, The timing on the scares works for you is a whole other part of the the idea. So the Universal Monsters are back. What it's going to be is Dracula, Wolfman, and the Mummy will come together as Universal transports guests to the 19th century with the trio of monsters seeking one thing, the Amulet of Ra. The Wolfman believes his ancient relic contains the power to finally lift his dreaded curse, while Dracula and the Mummy have nefarious plans to use it to bring humankind to its knees. I think a lot of people that attend Universal Horror Nights don't really necessarily care about the stories in the mazes. <laughs> and I know that there's been plenty of times when we didn't know what the heck they were trying to say. Right. But there's always, you know, these are artists. They always write a story. Mm-hmm. They're story makers or storytellers. So with the full moon on the rise and the race against time, guests us, me and you Kathy, find themselves entangled in a bloodthirsty battle between the terrifying Titans and
1: only one will survive. That's so, so exciting. The Fun. the game that I'm obsessed with horrified. Yeah. All of the monsters have a backstory. And so they, yeah. they all like the mummy has his Egyptian stuff. And then the Wolfman has his potion that you have to find to turn him back into it. Like to, you know, so all of like the classic, stories are embedded into the board game which is really cool so when you go watch the actual movies my brother and i did that over christmas we were like oh yeah that's from the game and so this will be you know more of that because there are there's a lot of depth to the old stories and people just know the monsters but they don't know that the stories were actually really i mean honestly
0: of course when i was 25 it's like i'm going to the mazes to be scared or whatever so yeah. I'm not really thinking. Yeah. I personally wasn't really thinking about any of this. I was just going to have fun with my friends. Mm-hmm. And I get that. It's just in a different place now. Yeah, uh, that's cool. So it starts September 8th in Hollywood and September 2nd in Orlando, if you're on the other side of the country and you're going to attend it in the Florida version of this. Also, Slash is returning to Collaborate for an original composition for this haunted house so yeah that's
1: awesome all right i just want to mention that i think that's going to be so much fun it will be to it. so i think you have an article oh no you have a couple I, of i have a things. couple things and i do have an article but i just want to mention a few things that i'm really excited about so there was rumor that stranger things was going this was going to be its final season it has been confirmed that they are now looking at chapter five, season five, which is super exciting. And they've also signed on for a spinoff. Yeah. So I'm stoked because I had ju- I just started The first episode last night because I was, I'm like literally, or this morning, because I was savoring it thinking this was the last Yeah, I haven't even started yet. (laughs) And I still have 20 minutes left of the first episode. I don't binge the show at all. I like literally savor every moment of it. But now that I know that they're doing more, that's really exciting because it was supposed to end after this season. So I'm super stoked about that. Do you have any idea what the spin-off is? No. Okay. Not yet. The music is incredible in this first episode. It takes if those of you from the 80s like Kate Bush running up that hill. I mean it just and all the music, it tells the story too and I love the music that they use for this show. So it's already started off really amazing and Elle's character just gets so much deeper. Um, they all do because now they're a little bit grown up. Um, yeah, and they're dealing absolutely. with different things. And Steve is still amazing. He still cracks me up.
0: I'm going to throw in there that I just Googled real quick, the spinoff stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'll just jump in and yeah, go say ahead. what's been released, I okay. guess. So the Duffer brothers, uh, they are, you know, not ready to leave the upside down just yet mm-hmm. <laughs> ahead of the stranger things season four premiere. They confirmed they've already got some ideas in mind for the possible sim- spinoff series. It sounds like they haven't decided on what but yeah. we do have an idea for a spin-off that we're super excited about, but we haven't told anybody about it and also haven't written anything about it, but they did say that it would be very, very different. Mm, I'm open. So just be open everyone. Yeah, They were like, don't hold us to it, but the gap should be quite a bit shorter this time, Mm -hmm. like between four and five, due to the fact that we already have an initial outline, and we can't imagine there will be another six months forced hiatus. So that's exciting.
1: Yeah, and they've had time with having all the COVID stuff to probably already start on five, which is awesome. That's pretty much what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Like there won't be a forced waiting period anymore. So that's awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited. The other thing is there's a movie coming coming out this fall. It's Olivia Wilde's second directorial debut, and I'm really excited for it. It's a movie called Don't Worry, Darling, Mm -hmm. and it stars uh, Florence Pugh and Harry Styles, who I just adore. I think he's so incredible and so talented, and Olivia Wilde's in it as well. But the synopsis is a utopian sci-fi horror. So cracks in the couple's marriage start to appear as they live in an experimental utopian community in the 1950s. The young and unhappy housewife begins to notice disturbing occurrences around her, finding them harder and harder to ignore. And her husband's secrets begin to emerge in their home and the company he works for. Don't Worry Darling is Olivia Wilde's second film as a director following her critically acclaimed debut, Booksmart. The film stars Florence Pugh as the young housewife and Harry Styles as her husband. Chris Pine takes on the role of the charismatic leader of a cult group. I am so excited for this. <laughs> and it comes out, it's supposed to come out in September 22nd.
0: That's amazing. Black Mirror is going to return. Did
1: yeah? you know this? New, no. Yeah,
0: new series in the works at Netflix. So it's been almost three years since season five of the dystopian drama premiered. On the streaming service in June 2019, but sources indicate that a new anthology series of Black Mirror is shaping up and casting is underway. So while details about specific stories obviously are being kept under lock and key, I was reading on Variety that season six will have more episodes than season five. Mm. So that's one thing Mm -hmm. because season five only had three, so... Yes. Yeah. Let's have some more. <laughs> uh, a source close to the production said that the latest se- season is even more cinematic in scope with each installment being treated as an individual film, which is kind of where they were going. Yeah. Right. Remember? I remember that they were sort of going like each one just
1: seemed like a each full se- meal. Each season became more and more. Well, each
0: episode. Some of the that, episodes. Well, that's what oh, I mean. Each season, each the episodes
1: season. became gotcha. Yeah, more like movies
0: yeah they totally did like you'd watch one and it was like, okay, I need a week before I watch the next one because yeah. it's a full meal yep, <laughs> like mm-hmm. plus dessert so this of course is in line with recent seasons of Black Mirror so the episodes will usually exceed sixty minutes and you know high production values so they have a lot of money, obviously. I don't know, I'm looking forward to that, yeah,
1: that's exciting, and I, I mean th- it's hard
0: to watch, but
1: <laughs> the seasons have gotten um better I mean yeah, they were they did uh, the the first season i liked but it was a little little too much <laughs> and well,
0: when they switched to americans i'm sad to say yeah like at some point in where whenever we we did a full we've done every episode of black mirror so you can go back and listen to those episodes mm-hmm. we've done a full breakdown of every single season and i'm sure at some point in there we said something along the lines of well the americans made it a little bit more palatable here because yeah. the brits went for broke Ooh. Like yeah. definitely went for broke. That first season was amazing. Yeah, I thought. oh yeah, but almost like, too rough. rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very rough.
1: I feel traumatized. Brilliantly done. Better. And this I think happens a lot with a lot of uh, foreign. Films is they're unapologetic about the rawness, yep, and that's amazing. But sometimes I need a break from reality. Well, it just takes a moment, so yeah. you just know what you're in for. Cool. So yeah, when Netflix took over, obviously things changed quite a bit. Very good. So I have a article from the newspaper. <laughs> wow, that's what I do. You mean not the online newspaper? No, like the. Oh, I yeah. hear it. I hear it. Manson followers, possible parole worries, Tate family. So those of you who have been following our show for a long time within the, was it the first or second season? Shannon's first season. Shannon did a, a series on, on Charlie and every once in a while we'll get updates or, talk about Manson. And so this came in the paper yesterday. The sister of slain actress Sharon Tate is raising concerns after state parole panel found Patricia Krenwinkel, one of Charles Manson's followers and participant in the infamous 1969 murder suitable for parole. Deborah Tate, who has represented the Tate family at every Manson family parole hearing since 1998, told the times the most recent hearing was impacted by technical issues that she worries will lead to an incomplete transcript being sent to Gavin, governor Gavin Newsom here in California. Krenwinkle is 74. She's the longest serving female inmate and was sent to death row in 1971 after LA jury convicted her of killing Tate and six others in Manson's followers two-day rampage across Los Angeles. Krenwinkel's attorney, Keith Watley, said that under the law, his client has so thoroughly completed that transformation that she must be released, even if we are horrified by what she did. On August 9, 1969, Krenwinkel and other Manson followers stormed the Benedict Canyon home shared by Sharon Tate, 26, and her movie director husband, Roman Polanski. Tate and four others were stabbed and shot to death. Krenwinkel testified to chasing coffee heiress Abigail Folger, with a knife and stabbing her 28 times. The next night, Krenwinkel and others killed Lino Labianca and his wife Rosemary at their Los Feliz home. Both homes had walls smeared with blood, and Krenwinkel used blood to scrawl the words death to pigs. In 2016, Krenwinkel's attorney made new claims that she had been abused by Manson or another person. Officials later rejected that bid for freedom. So, we know that at 74, her capacity for violence has dropped tremendously yeah but being sharon tate's sister i can imagine the feelings that are probably it's more the point of it now sure yeah
0: and how long do we punish people for what they do type of deal yeah i could talk a little bit about uh, van houten i mean she she's 72 now Mm mm-hmm and the uh, Gavin Newsom our the California governor rejected the state's parole board recommendation to release her and this was just this just happened mm-hmm. i guess yeah in march so like after her conviction Van Houten was sentenced to death of course but the death penalty was overturned and her sentence was commuted to life in prison and she be, first became eligible in parole in 1977 California's parole board first recommended her release in 2016, and that decision was blocked twice by Governor Jerry Brown, who cited the horrific nature of the murders, etc., of course, and Van Houten's eager participation in them, which we've discussed before, and twice by, it's also been denied twice by our current governor. This marks the third time that Newsom has deemed Van Houten unfit to regain society, and of course, you know, they hope every time she'll be released, she's 72 now, and she's disappointed, you know, it talks all about that. I mean, 50, sure. 52 years in prison, she's yeah. like, I feel like I've adequately addressed why I joined and remained in a violent cult and the triggering factors around her murdering Mrs. LaBianca, because that's the one she's definitely charged with. Sure, And she's disappointed, etc. But I also, you know... I mean, I mean, Newsom saying that she lacks the sufficient insight into the risk factors that led to her violent conduct in the past and Mm -hmm. the skills to protect herself against being susceptible to similar pressures in the future. That's the big thing is it's like, you know, unfortunately, you get sucked into one of these things and you do what they did. Once that's that like everyone will say to you, no, you're susceptible to doing this again because Mm -hmm. you're susceptible to being led down that path again.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, for sure.
0: If she's saying, you know, and she does of course says she was a victim of Charlie Manson. So,
1: yeah, no, I mean, it's true. And, and being, that many years in prison we know that prison's not really a rehabilitative place so the the chance of her gaining that much insight or profiting from experience when we're looking at it from a risk assessment model is very low and she went in as a, as a very young person and so imagine imagine how emotionally stunted and developmentally stunted she is for real mm-hmm. it would definitely her emotional development would certainly be
0: arrested and yeah stuck at that age most yep. likely yeah I also wanted to, just switching gears a couple things, I just wanted to say a couple of little horror things. Hulu's, (laughs) almost, almost, Kathy. We're so close
1: to being there. (laughs) The Handmaid's Tale you watch this on hulu i i I can't only because all the work that i did with sex offenders for for a long time made it really hard for me to watch this show even though i know it's not directly related and so i never started it oh okay yeah all right i know it's a wonderful
0: show though it's a very good show so they were renewed for season five back in 2020 like back in the day back before the covids yeah and while the season is expected to arrive sometime in, 20, you know, this year, it will do so without one of its stars, Alexis Bladell, who played Emily or Off Glenn for those of you who watch the show. And that character has been played by her since the series debut in 2017. And they just announced, actually, let me see what the date of this is, late in May. So she just uh, announced late in May here that, she is exiting the series, noting in the statement to Variety that she felt she had to step away from the series and didn't offer any information about her departure. Uh, she just said, after much thought, I felt I had to step away from The Handmaid's Tale at this time. I am forever grateful, yada, yada. She says, you know, her gratefulness and stuff. But she doesn't really say why. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, maybe she got another job <laughs> I, that I can. That, that would be the positive thing. The sequel novel, The Testaments, was published in 2019. For those of you who didn't know, there's now a sequel to mm. The Handmaid's Tale. Okay. And ahead of that novel's release, it was reported that MGM and Hulu were in discussions, of course, about how the sequel could be an important extension to the series, like that they would start to continue beyond uh, June's journey, like June's story that is uh, explicated in there and, and sort of see where that went. So. Okay. It's all on Hulu. If you haven't seen it, it's really good. I mean, I would read the book. Yeah. I heard the books are really good. (laughs) Yeah. The book is really good. The Handmaid's Tale is really good. So I have not read the sequel. It literally just came out, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I guess, but I haven't gotten around to it. So, so the next thing we would like to do, only if you're ready, is we'd like to do a little thing called,
1: (laughs) yeah. Horror Facts with Kath. Number one. Mm-hmm. Who is the youngest to ever host Saturday Night Live? Hmm. I don't know. Okay. I'll think about it. Number two. In the 18th century, women would throw apple peels over their shoulder on Halloween. For what reason? <laughs> uh, for their dogs? No. Okay. Number three, this is, I love this question, and I was laughing so hard when I found it. (laughs) Knowing how difficult it was going to be to build the many Gremlin model puppets, one idea involved putting this inside of Gremlin outfits. Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) That conjures up a few images, but go ahead. Number four, which Lucio Fulci zombie (laughs) film Ugh. Set on a tropical island was originally presented in Italy as a sequel to George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. A. Demons. B. Zombie Holocaust. C. Zombie 2. Or D. City of the Living Dead.
0: Okay, Snake. <laughs> I need Snake as my lifeline. He would know mm-hmm. the answer. <laughs>
1: Author, feminist activist, Rita Mae Brown wrote the original screenplay titled Sleepless Nights as a parody of the slasher. Producers repurposed it to make a serious slasher against her wishes. What did the film Sleepless Nights become? Awesome. Great.
0: Thank you for that. I will put those in my brain and try to come up with some answers So don't make me sound like an idiot. Or... I may sound like an idiot. You might. Either way, it's okay. We'll be back in a moment to talk about the voodoo hoodoo. <laughs> I was doing my stank you make face. some good faces. <laughs> I was doing my guitar person face for the intro. There, hello. We are going to talk about voodoo and hoodoo and some associated movies that we watched. But I think Kathy's going to start with sort of the difference between
1: those two because yeah, there it, is a difference. There is a difference, and Hollywood has used voodoo and hoodoo in films for you know decades because it it's a it's a really easy religion slash tradition slash spiritual concept that can easily be warped and tied into a form of black magic. And, you know, Shannon and I have uh, talked, we were talking before the recording today and just, it is very different um, from black magic, but it has been kind of thrown into that. So we wanted to make sure that we're representing what it actually is um, and how Hollywood has Used it and distorted it a bit to make it horror, which certainly makes it more fun, but not necessarily accurate. So, voodoo is a religion practiced in parts uh, of the Caribbean, especially in Haiti and the southern U.S., combining elements of Roman Catholic ritual with traditional African magical and religious rites, and characterized by sorcery and spirit possession. Some people believe it involves polytheism. There actually is only, my understanding is there is only one God, but there are, um, so it's monotheistic, but it does believe in numerous spirits, which is why some people believe that it's polytheistic. It's more of a religious practice. And then Hoodoo is a set of spiritual practices, traditions, and beliefs, which was created and concealed from slaveholders by enslaved Africans in North America. Hoodoo evolved from various traditional African religions and practices and in the American South, incorporated various elements of indigenous botanical knowledge. Hoodoo is an African diaspora, which is the worldwide collection of communities descended from native Africans or people of Africa, predominantly in the Americas. The tradition created during the time of slavery in the United States and its esoteric system of African-American occultism. So many of the practices are similar to other African diaspora traditions, and the practices come from the Bakongo people in Central Africa. A lot of this has to do with the transatlantic slave trade. So about 40% of the Africans taken to the U.S. were uh, Bantu, Congo. Hoodoo is a syncretic spiritual system that combines Christianity Islam brought over by enslaved West African Muslims and spiritualism. So, the tradition is part of the African American cultural heritage of spirituality and religion following the great migration of African Americans. Hoodoo spread throughout the United States. Practitioners of hoodoo are called root workers, conjure doctors, conjure man or conjure woman, root doctors, hoodoo doctors and swampers. Regional synonyms for hoodoo include conjure or root work. So the main difference between the two is that voodoo is considered a religion where hoodoo is considered a craft. And voodoo has its own rituals and leaders and representatives. There are two distinct branches. So the, the voodoo or the voodoo of New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, and the voodoo of Haiti. So one is seen much more as a religion. One is seen more as a, like a spiritual craft. But they're certainly not anywhere near as malevolent as the you know, as the movies make them. So I was going to walk through the 10 common misconceptions about voodoo based on an article by Jonathan H. uh, Cantor. So in some of these, I, I did mention already in this distinction. So, but I'll highlight them again, if, if they are one of his common misconceptions. So first of all, number one, a common misconception is voodoo is not a real religion, So, while each culture has its own distinct form of voodoo, they are all characterized as being syncretic religions, which are those that combine various aspects of two systems of belief. Number two, voodoo is condemned by the Catholic Church. In reality, voodoo is actually closely associated with Catholicism, and significant aspects of the two faiths have become intertwined over the years. Number three, voodoo dolls are used as instruments of torture. In reality, they're actually used for benevolent purposes in nearly every instance of their use. So instead of pain, the dolls are used to bring good fortune or anything benevolent that might help the person the doll represents. So it's actually a, a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Number four, Adherents practice black magic so once again Hollywood is to blame for this misconception as it often depicts people practicing black magic through sacrifice or some other means the coloration comes from the spirit itself so when a person lets one of these evil spirits take possession of their bodies their eyes are said to turn red which indicates that an evil spirit is present. Other than the red classification, voodoo spirituality is neither malevolent or benign, so the terms white and black magic simply do not apply. Number five, practitioners sacrifice animals to finish dark incantations. So animal sacrifice is a big part of the religion, but it's not done as a means of taking on the animal's life force to initiate some spell. It's done to combine the life force with something called the loa, or the, it, it's spelled L-W-A, so I'm not sure if there's two different pronunciations, but I know Loa is sure. one. The Loa is an aspect of Louisiana voodoo and Haitian voodoo, and they are the primary spirits of the faith. They are some sometimes called mystères and the invisibles who act as inter, intermediaries between humanity and the supreme creator. Number six, voodoo practitioners don't believe in God or gods. There is a common misconception about voodoo, which revolves around the belief that the religion's practitioners do not believe in or follow a deity. This is about as far from the truth as a misconception can be, as the main tenet of all forms of voodoo is that there is one God, Bandai. In comparison to other religions, Bandai is similar to Yahweh, the God of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. According to voodoo, there's only one God, so it is technically monotheistic, but it does feature numerous spirits, which likely contributes to this misconception. Number seven, voodoo is primarily about personal gain. Well, there are certain aspects of the faith that do center around the uh, promotion of one's personal growth. The biggest concern of voodoo centers around healing, healing the individual or healing an entire village is the principal focus of the religion and has a lot to do with where it's practiced around the world. Number eight, voodoo practitioners make a pact with the devil. Because the religion is often most associated with black magic, relations with the devil aren't far behind. In reality, voodoo doesn't feature a devil in the traditional Catholic sense, though there is a loa who is referred to as the devil in popular culture. Papa Legba has been referred to as the devil in blues music, but the spirit doesn't reside in hell. Instead, he stands at the spiritual crossroads and grants or denies permission to speak with the spirits of the spirit world, Guinea. Number nine, voodoo practitioners can raise the dead. Instead, zombies in voodoo tradition are victims who were brought back to life by priests called bokors. This was done to create a force of slave labor used on the island's sugarcane plantations. Granted, there's no evidence of this being done in reality, but the concept remains true in modern voodoo, which identifies as what happens when the human force leaves the body. When this happens, the body remains a shell lacking self-awareness, a soul or intelligence. And finally, ten, voodoo follows a strict regimen of ritual and practice. When voodoo is shown on the silver screen, it appears to follow a specific practice that must be followed exactly as ordained or the results will be chaotic and even deadly. In reality, this is far from the truth. There are so many variations to practicing the many forms of voodoo, one priest might do something completely different from another to achieve the same result. Unlike most religions, voodoo doesn't have a strict code for practitioners to follow. Instead, it revolves around traditions passed down throughout the centuries and across oceans.
0: Can you tell us just once again what you're reading from? So
1: yes, so the article, you can find it online, um, but it's called the Ten Common Misconceptions about Voodoo by Jonathan h. cantor k a n t o r.
0: When you were reading that or when you f- originally found that, was that surprising to you? Were those things kind of... Um, like, some of them
1: were. Did you, you know, learned something? <laughs> I, d- I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know much about it, to be honest. I knew mm-hmm. that it wasn't ever represented correctly. Um, I guess I didn't know how much it was rooted in you know, the history of slavery and then also that the practice was really more around healing and then just mm-hmm. the difference between voodoo and hoodoo and how they get intertwined and how Hollywood just kind of makes it an amalgamation of... Inaccurate facts and makes it really mysterious and scary. And and reading through these ten, it actually seems like a very very positive religion. Yeah. Um. So yeah. that's that was kind of cool to yeah, see. Yeah.
0: No. It's been really interesting. I've I've enjoyed it. I'll I'll just add a few things to what you were saying. I, I've enjoyed researching it more. I. I liken some of the trajectory of the voodoo religion, and I don't know too much about hoodoo, so I'll just Mm -hmm. go with um, voodoo, which I have read about and and read some more about for this episode, is that I liken it to witchcraft because it's a similar story. Not the same, of course, but it's a similar story in that this is an older religion and a religion that comes from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, just like paganism right basically if you want to you don't have to say witchcraft you can say the older religions were mostly paganism and so when the catholic church and christianity came on the scene european cultures wanted their religion to be primary in the world and so there were a lot of politics and a lot of war and a lot of marginalizing around getting rid of and vilifying paganism and here we you know enter slaughtering women right for witchcraft and that was really based in many ways on the Christians and Catholicism wanting to dominate. And so what they did was they made up a whole lot of stories about how women were witches. And so we got to kill them all. And so then that's how that genocide happened. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of liken this to this because something I was reading was talking about how, of course the origin of voodoo is from West Africa, the traditional practices being originally African before the arrival of the Europeans. But then once the French explorers enslaved Africans, transporting them to the shores of uh, Dominguez, I think that's in France, they attempted to replace the tradition with Christianity. So it's, it's that sort of thing. And the reason why the slaves were able to continue to practice voodoo is because they masked it as Catholicism. Mm, So that's where that that comes from. Yeah. So there's so it's interesting because in this regard, like as opposed to the popular belief that the physical condition of the people, you know, uh, the importance of this religion is they would document the deaths as black magic. Right. And so it just started to have this folklore around well, if they caught them uh, using any kind of voodoo practices, then it was black magic. It was (laughs) because if it wasn't Christianity, it was going to be demonized. Exactly. And so, I mean, movies and and literature have taken on that moniker. And, you know, we really want to distinguish between like you can you can love the voodoo trope in horror movies that we're not vilifying that necessarily. But if you want to Lean in. It's never been one of my favorite ones, but it's Mm -hmm. like if you want to lean into that a little bit, if you want to go serious with it, the notion like negatively paints the religion as... Uh, racialized violence yes and we watched a movie called the, Skelo- the um the serpent and the rainbow yep and that's exactly what i just watched yep. <laughs> right yeah so let me just say what this movie is for those of you who may or may not Yeah, white people need to stop it.
1: writing history
0: right yeah i mean we keep fucking it up <sighs> well and you know politics and religion right like religion yeah. is often used as a takeover you know next week we're gonna do a show on the way down and what happened in that particular cult and so i just want to say feelings aren't facts people yeah exactly nope they're feelings so the serpent of the rainbow is a 1988 movie and yeah so bill pullman is in this one so young so young can i just this? this so is crazy young such
1: a irrelevant He was even naked at one point he was but this is such an irrelevant piece but i was watching him and he completely reminded me of a young robert pattinson Oh, sure. When you look at his face and his the way he talks and his eyes, it was really bizarre. I'm like, why do you kind of... Who do you remind me of? You reminded me of Robert Pattinson when he was young. Right. Without the English.
0: Right. And it's not that I didn't enjoy this movie. I, no, I, but I it's, enjoyed it it's as an pretty, 88 thing. It's pretty brutal. But when I watched it, I was so very aware of the racism going on that it, was, it made it... Just watching it from vantage point now, mm-hmm. I guess, was a little i can see how it was fun for the time let me just read the description in a time of social and political unrest in haiti anthropologist dennis allen who's played by bill pullman travels to the torn country to study a voodoo drug used in religious practices to turn victims into living zombies and by the way the zombification of people is a super minor concept in voodoo. Yes. It's not even, you know, they've, they've, uh, of course movies. I mean, you know, any horror person's going to be like, Oh wait, there's zombies in that religion. Let's make a movie out of it. Like, uh, obviously I get that with the help of a witch doctor, Brent Jennings and a fellow researcher played by Kathy Tyson, Dennis pieces together the deadly mystery. But as Dennis uncovers the secrets behind the mysterious powder, he must evade the Haitian authorities who view his research as a potential threat. Yeah, definitely trigger warnings for black people being bad and white people being good and violence like and
1: they're they're just oppression and and they're they're just portrayed as insane and like untamed. And it's really. Yeah. Well, in that.
0: So let me just say one thing about the movie is that. I thought for 1988, there were a couple of good practic. There are a couple of good special effects in there. I mean, for 1988, mm-hmm. I was like, oh look, that's
1: not so bad. The burying alive scene is so hard.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of hard things about this movie, and I can't really recommend watching it, honestly. No. Uh, but I'm I'm glad I have a fund of knowledge about it, just from you know knowing about voodoo movies, of course. But that also actually makes me want to say, it's like contrary to the actual nature of voodoo, one of the things that has been portrayed a lot in voodoo movies and in literature, actually H.P. Lovecraft story, um, the Call of Cthulhu in, you know, is a perfect representation of this is that the, that there's a connection between the mental inferiority of blacks and mixed race groups in the belief of voodoo. Right. So there's often these people that are portrayed as, inferior uh, mentally like they're not as smart that they're diseased they're inferior that they're primitive primitive Mm -hmm. yeah so the general perception is that that it's mere superstition that voodoo is just a superstition Mm -hmm. and it's actually a nature religion it and that's another reason why i connect it to paganism is because it's much more interested in nature. I mean, it's long been associated with witchcraft, um, sacrificing animals, you know, Satanism, this kind of thing, when really it's it's more about connecting to nature and using natural powers. And so I also did want to mention just that I kind of threw in the call of Cthulhu. So let me just amplify that a little bit, because I know we're all horror fans and many people are fans of, of Lovecraft. And so With the Call of Cthulhu, it's describing the cult of Cthulhu. So this is a a culty. It's a culty story. It's a mystery, and it's told of the cult and the statue of Cthulhu that was based on one of the blackest of the African voodoo circles. So from the story, the initiates of the cult are portrayed as men who are ignorant, degraded, mentally aberrant, and who either are either Negroes or mulattoes. That's the word that they used at that time in that story, because, of course, Call of Cthulhu is an old... It's an old story. It's Lovecraft. So further, the literature continues to describe their right as primitive and connected to satanic moves. So, for instance... He states that beings were making sounds writhing around by a bonfire devoid of clothes, you know, like that they're just sort of primitive animals. And in the middle of the bonfire stands this great monstrous statue with bodies of marred and mutilated bodies around. So the essence of that story represents voodoo as connected to Satanism. And it's just not. It's just like witchcraft or paganism is associated in many horror movies and in many movies in general as being associated with Satanism. I mean, some of our, like the craft, you know, one of our favorite nineties, eighties, nineties, whatever movie, it's like they're associating it with demonic possession
1: and Satanism and all of that. And eh. it's, it's any, it's any sort of nonconformity to the white Christian whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. So, I know we also watched The Skeleton Key. We did. Which is more about hoodoo, which I was describing earlier, which is less of a a religion, more of a spiritual craft. Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson. And this definitely has, uh, you know, themes of slavery and all the intergenerational trauma and stuff, but I'll read the storyline story first. Nurse Caroline Ellis quits her job to take care of elderly Ben Devereaux, who had a stroke and cannot talk. When she gets to his house in Terrebonne Parish, Louisiana, she meets Ben's wife, Violet, who acts suspicious and creepy. The family's lawyer, Luke Marshall, convinces Caroline to stay. She goes to the attic and finds a secret room there full of spells, hair and bones, used to practice hoodoo, but Violet says that she has never seen this secret room. Caroline wants to help Ben, thinking that Violet has put a spell on him. She knows Hoodoo can't hurt someone who doesn't believe in it. Can Caroline save Ben or will she end up being the one who needs to be saved? So as a movie, I really like this movie and I think the performances are great. We have, it's a, it's an, a really great cast, first of all. So Peter Skarsgård, Kate Hudson, Jenna Rollins is amazing in I it. I love Jenna Rollins. She's oh so God. good. I'm uh, so happy to see her. I had never seen this oh, movie. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, John Hurt plays the Ben Devereaux. It's a really, really good movie. There's a lot of other... Um, Danine Tyler, who you might not know her by her name, but if you see her face, you'll know her from a lot of movies in the 80s and 90s and shows. So... As a movie, if you're just watching it from an entertainment standpoint, I think it's kind of creepy and fun and um. Yeah, and I mean, I would say it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Mm-hmm. But the ending, which I will not state, in some ways is what you would consider a revenge fantasy, I think, um, if you're looking at this from inter- an intergenerational trauma space. But it does also paint Hoodoo, again, to be this black magic that's used to harm... rather than it being a healing practice. So once again, you know, we're taking something and we're turning it into a horror film, Mm -hmm. but the movie itself is fun. Absolutely.
0: I also, you know, if we want to get into a little bit of the lighter side of it now, for purposes of just talking a little bit about horror, is like I said before, you know, using the trope of voodoo, people who practice the voodoo religion as, you know, demons, okay because the same thing happens with witches the same thing happens with all of the other things uh, you know and and I understand that it's just a, a trope that's now a bad guy but I mean I think some movies do it slightly better than others and aren't as racist about it but I would think it would be very difficult not to be racist about it quite honestly right so I'm actually curious for for my own, edification to go a little bit deeper into this kind of subgenre of horror because it's not ever something I like purposely investigated. Mm-hmm. But I would personally like to go a little bit deeper into this and maybe find some movies that aren't as racist. Mm-hmm. But but I also know that then those movies are going to err on the side of maybe they won't be as scary or mm-hmm. maybe they won't. So, you know, I, I would just love it if there was the somebody tackled it and we were able to have and maybe they're out there that's what i'm saying like if you guys know of movies that you do not experience as racist but also have the trope of the demon voodoo person in it you know you could they they can still be portrayed as bad people because Mm -hmm. of course witches and everybody Mm -hmm. else i mean regular folk are portrayed as evil in movies like that's not well, and anybody, that, and
1: anybody can use a religion or a spiritual yeah. practice in a negative Not way.
0: Bad. We're going to we're gonna look at that next week Yes. the way down. It's a little bit of a religion what? month here. So on, <laughs> on this thought, though, yeah. I did
1: watch a, a movie from 1974 called Sugar Hill. Oh, um, uh uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know that
0: one. Go ahead. Okay. I want to hear.
1: So um, <laughs> I'm going to give you the premise in a moment. But to paint a picture, imagine Pam Greer in coffee voodoo style oh okay
0: Okay. oh yeah
1: yeah um (laughs) supernatural voodoo woman The the music's fantastic white director of course disco voodoo but to your point is that they used the voodoo Mm, to the voodoo to avenge Okay. Um, so when her boyfriend is murdered by gangsters, That's white, typical, white right? gangsters, yeah. <laughs> Sugar Hill, and sh- her, th- he calls her Sugar because she's, she's too sweet, um, yeah. decides not to get mad, but bad. <laughs> she entreats <laughs> voodoo queen Mama Maltese to call on Baron S- Samiti, Lord of the Dead, for help with a gruesome revenge. In exchange for Sugar's soul, the dark master raises up a zombie army to do her bidding. The bad guys who think they got away clean are about to find out that they I've seen this one Mm. that they got uh, yeah are about to find out that they're dead wrong no Um, so I will say there's some really fun moments in this it's just kind of Fun. No, it's, it's just campy. I mean, but it's called Sugar Hill. It's called Sugar Hill. Um, but the, the the premise is, again, there's a, a revenge fantasy in getting back at these guys. So she goes to this uh, old woman who's basically like, are you sure you want to open this up? Because mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to do some stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and all the white people die at the yeah. hands of this. Um, but there are some, some fun moments just if you watch it for entertainment value.
0: Oh, yeah. And I mean... Different kinds of voodoo things are in all kinds of movies. In other words, the whole movie doesn't have to embrace voodoo as the bad guy. Mm-hmm. It, it there'll be, I think, in some of the child's play movies. I think you know, there's there's a lot of different movies that aren't all about voodoo, but yeah. you know, have these kinds of things woven in. And that's actually kind of what I'm excited about, just kind of looking into it a little bit more. And I know. You know, White Zombie, of course, is very famous from back in the day. I think it's the 30s or something. And I did notice when I was looking or poking around that it's like the 30s and 40s and 50s and that there's all these voodoo movies. And you can only imagine, like, I walked with a zombie from 1943. I haven't seen these movies. I can't really speak to it, but it's like you can only imagine how that's going to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know White Zombie's pretty racist, but, you know, Bella Lugosi. Right. So there's things to... Uh, it's just, it's one of those things where like, I really liked midnight in
1: the garden of good and evil. I, I almost watched that one too. For the, that, I remember seeing that one in the theater and that was a good one too. Yeah.
0: And a lot of people didn't like that movie. It, I I remember it sort of being critically panned at it, the time. It was. And I have revisited that movie several times now, honestly, having done a little bit more research into the history of voodoo and, and all of this, I I'm wondering if I'm going to watch it and, and be really aware of how i don't know racist or whatever it may be mm-hmm. uh it was 90s right yeah, yeah. so uh, but i i have always really liked that movie so mm-hmm. and i i mean i'm a huge fan of of john cusack so i'm uh, the whole cast is great i mean yeah kevin spacey i've yeah. always really enjoyed him too personal life notwithstanding right whatever atrocities he may have committed notwithstanding i always enjoyed him as a performer sure. so yeah. pretty brilliant that movie yeah such a good actor so I mean, I think even one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movie has, you know, voodoo stuff in it. So mm. it weaves in and out sure. of our of our movies. And so I, I'm excited to have had this conversation because now I'm just a little bit more aware of it and yeah. I'm going to start identifying it. And as Kathy and I have said all along the way, one of the journeys that we've taken with our podcast is our our own edification, our own learning and our own like diving into knowing more about horror and all of its like little ins and outs. So we hope that this conversation has allowed you to maybe explore something new too cool yeah we will be right back with our books and movies of the week and what we've been watching and we'll so we'll chat with you in one moment on let's talk books and movies kids okay what do you want to start with your book or your follow-up
1: oh i'll start with my follow-up cool so i watched monstrous
0: oh all righty then yeah we
1: were talking about this on another episode was the new christina ricci film story centers on a traumatized woman fleeing from her abusive ex-husband with her seven-year-old son in their new remote sanctuary they find they have a bigger more terrifying monster to deal with i'll tell you what I, this was not the movie of the year, but I did not hate it. That's how I felt about it. It was good. And I think the, the mental health piece of it was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. There's clearly, you know, under uh, horror undertones, but her performance was good. I always love to see her in things because she chooses her projects, I think wisely. Mm -hmm. Um, And she kind of comes and goes. So when we get to see her, it's a treat. But overall, I feel like, you know, the ending was was really cool and there leaves some room for interpretation but enough there to have like a solid closure if Mm -hmm. that makes sense agreed so I I enjoyed it
0: yeah and I think that was my basic tenor is that I enjoyed it not the movie of the year not like epic or total but I thought it was a different spin on kind of something that they've done a lot of yeah, it, You know, yes. the, the story with the mom and the boy and all of that, yes. you know, without spoiling it. It's like, it's it's a themes. The themes are something that are very hot right now in horror. And so, but I thought it had an interesting twist. It did. And
1: again, also without On giving that. too much away, that moment where yeah. that one thing happens and yeah. you realize the timeline you and you're know, like, oh, that was cool how they yeah. just all of a sudden mix that in there. Yeah, there were some twists and turns
0: that, mm-hmm. that, were, that made it an interesting spin on it. And I, and I thought that was delightful. Yeah. I'm glad you got to see it. I know that you really like Christina Ricci. So. I do. I will follow that with a follow-up on my side of things. Okay. We did an episode on Guillermo del Toro. Yes, we did. A few weeks ago, months ago, however long it's been. Now I've lost track of time, but I, I did watch the orphanage mm-hmm. and at that time I had not seen it. And now I have, yeah, it's a great film. 2007. Good one. I just want to say it's a Spanish language movie. It's Guillermo. It's, I think it's maybe one of his first mm-hmm. Right, early, early. It's an early one. Maybe not first, but early. And a friend of mine who is a listener of the podcast, her name is Tia, shout out to Tia, she actually had texted me for us to maybe get together, she doesn't, doesn't live around here, and she was like, hey, I listened to the Carol <laughs> del Toro episode, have you watched The Orphanage yet? Because that's, one, that's like my favorite horror movie, and I actually had had just watched it like I was able to say yes and I was so proud of myself because I was able to go yes I have or whatever however I responded I I don't remember how I responded but I had seen it and so I did want to say if for those of you who haven't seen it or maybe this is the first time you're listening to us The Orphanage 2007 it's unnerving it's poignant the performances are wonderful this isn't I am a big fan of movies with the atmosphere. Oh, the ending is brilliant. It's so beautiful. It's a haunted house horror movie, so if you like that, but it's f- it's deeply felt. It's deeply felt. It's very affective, and that's why I say poignant because it's just the the feels. You get the feels. Yeah. But the horror is tight, too. Yep. Horror is solid. You know, you got the creepy kid trope, you got, you know, mom and kids trope, you got haunted house, you and, got and all also, kinds of good stuff really kind of before he was doing his real big effects. Yeah. So just a story. It's a good story. It's cut together. Well, it's directed. Well, the performances are great. It's a slow burn. It's got lots of atmosphere. So yeah, I can't recommend it enough.
1: Awesome. Glad you saw it. Yeah. I finished a book called the family across the street and to Shannon's comment a moment ago, there's certain themes that are going around. I didn't realize what I was necessarily getting myself into when I read this book it was a, it was a short read but it is it gets dark fast and it ended up becoming very true to the work that I do and so it is a a a book that ends up about I'll, I'll just say this without giving anything away about family violence and I'll just read the synopsis here it says sometimes the most Perfect families are hiding the most terrible secrets. How well do you know the people next door? Everybody wants to live on Hogarth street, the pretty tree line Avenue with its white houses. The new family, the Wests, are a perfect fit. Catherine and Josh seem so in love in their gorgeous five-year-old twins race screeching around their beautiful emerald green lawn. But as soon as people start to notice, why don't they join backyard barbecues? Why do they brush away offers to babysit when you knock on the door? Do they shut you out rather than inviting you in? Every family has secrets and on the hottest day of the year, the truth is about to come out as a tragedy unfolds behind closed doors. The dawn chorus is split by the wail of sirens and one by one, the families who tried so hard to welcome the West begin to realize Hogar street will never be the same again. Why this book is different is you get to, you get to, you get the vantage point of four different characters throughout this book, almost like they're writing in a journal. It's like their thoughts, their inner thoughts. I love the characters. You think you know what's going on and it is not at all what you think is going on. So when you start to read it, you're like, Oh, this is another book about this. Yes. And then Nicole Trope, who's the author just does some stuff and you're like, wow, that was cool. It's a, it, a lot of trigger warnings around, family violence in the book just so people know if they're interested in reading it but I recommend it okay yeah The Family Across the Street yep by Nicole Trope fantastic so I watched
0: a movie called Emergency it's a 2022 movie and it's an Amazon original those can be very hit or miss it's actually a comedy drama but it's also a thriller so it's in the thriller wheelhouse for sure but there's very funny parts of it and there's also very dramatic parts of it. So I would say it hits all those genres pretty solidly. Kunle and his best friend, Sean, Are both seniors in college so it's a college horror flick for those of you who like that kind of thing (laughs) so it's young folks which is you know a trope that we all mostly dig are both seniors in college about to embark on the an epic night of spring break parties sean has the whole night planned out sean's kind of the fun one so to speak sean has the whole night planned out including every party they will hit on their legendary tour Kunle is down, yet mostly concerned with finishing up his mold experiment in his lab. And Kunle is the nerd. As his acceptance to Princeton is hinging on the results. They return to their apartment to pregame, yet find out that their roommate Carlos left the door open. And as they enter with trepidation, Sean and Kunle discover a drunk, semi-conscious, White female, they don't know, on the floor. Mm. So I'm not going to go into any more of that. That is the premise because Kunle and Sean happen to be African-American and there's a white girl, unconscious in the middle of their living. room. Yeah, I know as
1: you were saying that I'm like, that's really all you need to say. That is a, yeah, there's a whole lot.
0: Exactly. There's a whole lot more description of like what happens and everything, but you don't really need to know any more than that. But what you do need to know is that there's a great sense of humor in this movie. I think there is a solid cultural and social statements that are made along the way in this movie, not in a way that would make anyone not enjoy the movie. It's not lecturing you. It's Mm -hmm. definitely written well. Mm -hmm. It it blends all those kinds of concepts and and racial issues into the story. So, because you've got two black men, one Latino man, and a passed out white woman. So, and where that goes is also a thriller for the better part of this movie. So, there's a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a lot of tension. It's like... It's, you know, that trope, you know, white people, useless white people in the woods that don't know what they're doing. You yeah. know, that that trope, like <laughs> yes. the stupid white people in the woods that can't find the hole Have in no, the ground. No survival skills. Yeah, like yeah. can't even tie their shoes. It, it's got that kind of feel to it where it's like, these people are not stupid at all, except maybe Carlos. He's just real high. So okay. we don't know if he's stupid or not. I don't think he's stupid by the end of the movie. But that those are kind of the tropes at the beginning. You got the nerdy kid. You got the fun party kid. They're best friends. And you got Carlos that's like wearing rainbow colors and high in the bedroom and didn't even know there was a girl passed out in the living room. Right? Oh, my God. And then kind of what ensues, but the race, the conversations about racial profiling and racism are all blended in to all of these relationships. And honestly, where it kind of goes that last half an hour, I was,
1: I thought it, I, I liked it. I really liked That's it. That's cool. Very cool. Um, I'll talk about one more. This mm-hmm. is a crime drama, thriller, mm-hmm. mystery, horror. Those are some words. From 2021. The The writer's name is Phil Drinkwater. That cannot be his last name.
0: You are a long drink of water.
1: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. This movie was really trippy. So while logging tapes, it's, I'm sorry, I didn't give you the movie name. Thank you. The movie name is (laughs) Broadcast Signal Intrusion. Um, While locking tapes of decades-old TV broadcasts, video archivist James, played by Harry Shum, who's great, Harry Shum Jr., discovers a surreal and disturbing clip that James believes is the product of a mysterious broadcast signal hacking. His discovery takes a sinister turn when he tracks down similar broadcast intrusions that send him on an obsessive mission. Now James must confront two very real possibilities that the videos may be clues to a crime beyond all comprehension, and that whoever was behind them may be very aware that james is coming uncomfortably close to the truth so not only is this a thriller but in lieu of the movie monstrous it also has a uh, a mental health component to it he you know he loses his wife so there's grief and he starts to have what we call ideas of reference when he's watching these uh these broadcasts that he starts, and I won't tell you if they're real or not, but he starts to believe that they are messages that are giving him information that could be linking his wife's death, that could be linked to his wife's death. So he becomes very obsessed with finding the person who was using these broadcast signals intermittently through shows and stuff on TV and it just becomes this wild goose chase where he slowly starts to unravel and lose his mind and you don't really know until the end whether it was true or not but I it kept my interest have you seen this no was, i
0: was reading about it though is yeah. it a found footage movie kind of
1: i mean not necessarily not in like the strictest sense not in the strictest sense because the movie is a movie but what he's obsessed with is found footage okay, he's yeah. obsessed I knew obsessed had with an his, element of that yeah
0: because i was doing some research on found footage because i want to do i have okay. an idea for a found footage episode that cool. we can do in the future if things come together and so i was doing some
1: research and that's where i read about it yeah so he i mean and there's some really eerie disturbing scenes in this film but it's i think it was worth a watch okay cool
0: i also watched and we and we viewed this together with some friends in the discord the witch part 1 mm. the subversion And this is a 2018 movie, and I wanted actually some more people to see this movie because the sequel is coming out. So part two is coming out really soon, and I'm looking forward to that. Part two is called The Witch, part two, the other one, and it's actually making its VOD platform debut on June 15th. So very, very close to when you guys will be hearing this episode. So... Run right out and watch the first one if you like this sort of thing. I certainly do. So it's The Witch, Part 1, The Subversion. A high school student with amnesia tries to uncover what has happened to her, all leading her into deeper and deeper troubles, ultimately revealing a darkness she could not have imagined. And this is Park jong and I like that filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And I loved the performances, and I have seen this movie before but I don't know. Did you watch it with us? No, I missed that one. Okay. You know, there's a school theme to it. There's I've heard it's good. It's an action mystery basically, but it's a horror film Mm -hmm. and I can't recommend it enough. It's also kind of kooky. Okay. So it's got that sensibility, which Mm -hmm. I appreciate about this filmmaker as well. And so uh, it's just got that kind of kookiness to it. He's, you know, he's a South Korean film director, He did. I saw the devil. If you've seen that one, which I, I really liked. And so I, I, I had seen this one. He hasn't made a ton of films, but I'm looking forward to part two. And this film is just a lot of fun. There's, there's gore, you know, there's, it's got the gore and the violence that you want. It's got the quirky relationships that you want good performances. A lot of the visuals are kind of mesmerizing to me. Mm -hmm. It's very imaginative. It's very violent as, as a lot of these films that I've been watching lately are, you know, the sound and everything really amplifies that. So it it can be kind of bloody and brutal. Just like our show. Like you. Just like me. Just bloody and brutal to Mm -hmm. the day. It's good. I recommend it quite a bit. I wanted to mention a couple of things that I saw that are not horror, if you don't mind. (laughs) I was able to watch the new season of Kids in the Hall. Oh, I
1: saw it's on my list. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I love that show. So so
0: I loved kids in the hall back in the day so much. I mean, my friends and I in our, you know, college drama program, we were, we were watching that and quoting them and doing imitations of them. They were like huge inspirations for our, the development of our, our humor. And so when I saw that they were back, I was like, Oh, please let it be good. Please let it be good. And I have to tell you, it's a solid season. There's one episode, I think it's episode six that I thought was perfection from the beginning to the end okay the characters are solid there are old characters and new characters that they put in there it's over the top it's they work they are working blue like it's it's funny but it's like sex you know there's sex there's oh yeah it's 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 hilarious it crosses so many lines it's just like the kids in the hall I remember and they make fun of themselves being old like they really are
1: just in the moment yeah I love it doing who they are and oh I have so many great memories my brother is the one who turned me on to that show when I was a kid and I have so many good memories around that and when I saw it pop up on my tv I was like Oh no! Shit. <laughs> yeah, I
0: tried to watch it as fast yeah. as possible because I just love them so much, and I and I didn't savor it, but I will go back and savor it, and I will watch. Now but I want to watch are, all the old uh, ones. And you can also "Kids in the Hall." You can rewatch. Oh my god, I watched I rewatched that o- yeah. the OG stuff so many times. Yeah, and so once if you're an OG fan of it, once you get used to them being older, because <laughs> of course at first it's like it's a little bit of a like you've re- you've rewatched the og kids in the hall so many times that you just thought maybe they were crystallined into that face but of course dave foley and other people that's have been working ever yeah. since then so yeah. we've gotten used to a couple of them but there's a couple of them that you haven't seen in a hundred years so once you get used to the way they look now it is fucking hilarious that's, that's fucking hilarious the other thing i wanted to mention before we do the answers to Horror Facts with Kath, is that I went to a premiere of Top Gun Maverick. I heard that was good. And it was really good. Yeah, I heard it's good. Okay, so what I will quickly say about that is it's good fan service. Mm -hmm. So those of us who were fans of the first movie, it's got the right amount of cheese. Nice. Because, of course, the original Top Gun has some cheese. It's got the right amount of cheese, the right amount of romance with some kick ass flying sequences i heard is it true he did some of his own stuff yes yes and they did all of the fly once you see this movie and you know go in knowing that they did it's not cgi they did all the flying they did all the flying and you haven't seen this movie yet maybe some of you i'm gonna have to
1: give you an update of how i feel when
0: you see it and you see the particularly the action climax sequences of what they do in the air. Like, holy shit. And the way the ending all plays out. Cause of course, if you don't stick the ending, this is where you get bad reviews basically. Right. So that lasts 45 minutes of the 400 hour movie. Of course it's like two hours and 11 minutes, but I didn't feel that way. Honestly, they nail it. I think
1: I'm looking it up to see, I know you, we can stream it now, but do you recommend seeing it in the theater? I do. Yeah. It sounds I do. like,
0: okay. I do. I realize not it. most people aren't going to do that these days, but that's I it's mean, a big action movie, yeah. and I you know I saw it at a, like a local premiere, and so of course everybody in there is fans, and so we're clapping and talking to the screen and excited by the fans, lots of fan service that first like forty five minutes, they really draw you in with all the callbacks. Cool. I love it. I don't know. I feel like I love it. I love it. I love it. I feel like if you're a fan of the first one and it's a nostalgia
1: piece for you, oh, the totally. theater is definitely the okay. way to go. If I can manage to. Yeah. I'll see it there. I'm sure it'll be out Sometimes for Sometimes we ain't got time for that. And our theater close to us always has like some of those for a while. So you bet our best kept secret.
0: So I think now
1: <sighs> we need to get some answers, kids. All right. Who's the youngest to ever host Saturday night live? Oh, <sighs> It's a horror facts with Kath. That's a clue.
0: Okay, so this uh, horror sci-fi. Orient myself. The host of Saturday Night Live is the celebrity that goes on. That's correct. Okay, so that was my first flaw. Was I couldn't? I was like, who, what? So it'd be like a horror sci-fi person. Thousands of them. How would I ever? It's a horror person, actor or horror sci-fi. Can I go like actor or actress? Sure. Which, like actress, okay. Well, is it like favorite movie of yours or something? It's it's, a, it's up there. Actress, hmm. read not recent. I'm sure. Not recent. In what way? In other words, like, I would imagine they would have hit that youngest. Oh no, this smart is, a long this time is ago. A long time ago. And since your favorite is the '80s, hmm. So like scream deductive reason. Well, that'd be nineties. Oh, right. Lost boys. E.T. Hmm. I don't think the people in lost boys are like young enough. So like E.T. Like Drew Barrymore. Yes.
1: Really? Yes. (laughs) Drew Barrymore after playing Gertie, my cat's name in E.T. at the age of seven.
0: Well, and she was so famous then.
1: And so charismatic.
0: Because I was thinking the Lost Boys, and I know there was a kid in the Lost Boys, and I almost said, uh, what's his, what's his yeah. face? But then you said actress. So I was yeah. like, okay, can't be what's his face. What are, well, Corey, Corey, Corey Haim wouldn't have been that young. And Corey Feldman wouldn't have been either. Mm. That would have been more Halloween
1: Corey Feldman. Right. Yeah. Drew, so when, how old was she? She was, she was seven. It was right after she filmed E.T. Oh my God. Isn't that awesome? Are you kidding yeah. me? I gotta see that I know, now. Now, now I'm super curious. Oh my gosh. Number two. In the 18th century, women would throw apple peels over their shoulder on Halloween. For what reason? Mm, I don't know. What did every women, woman do in history? What was their only purpose in life? To breed. So was, this was to get pregnant? To help them find a husband. Oh. They would stand. Which in, would lead to breeding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they would stand in the, and survival. They would stand in the dark bathroom with a candle. In hopes of seeing their future husband's face in the mirror. (laughs) Good Lord. I'm so glad hey, we don't live you know, like that anymore. The survival of the species. As, as as the men are out doing whatever the fuck they want. All right, number three. Oh, come on. Calm that's down. what that's what Calm down. the don't worry, darling, is all about. <laughs> I know. Knowing how difficult it was going to <laughs> let's see where oh, knowing how difficult it was going to be to build the Gremlin model puppets, <laughs> one idea involved putting this inside of Gremlin outfits.
0: Well, I mean, I would just say
1: kids. Monkeys. Oh. Can you imagine the set? I would love that. Same. That, I just imagining, just get, grab that one. He's running. He's. We need him to sit still. Ugh. Number four. I think that would been brilliant. Watching Spielberg be like, hold on, hold on. Which Lu- Which Lucio Fulci zombie film uh, Which Lucio Fulci zombie film you got it. set on a tropical island was originally presented in Italy as a sequel to George Romero's Dawn of the Dead
0: Demons Zombie ho- Holocaust Holocaust zombie, zombie, 2. zombie 2 and City of the Living Dead Are those all Fulci movies? I believe so. Okay. I was just going to say Demons cuz Zombie 2 Okay. That definitely sounds more like a tropical island movie yeah. piece of zombie slop. two flesh eaters piece of
1: slop, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Maybe it's fabulous. I really don't know. Number five author and feminist activist Rita Mae Brown wrote the original screenplay titled Sleepless Nights as a parody of the slasher. Producers repurposed it to make a serious slasher against mm. her wishes. Oh, what did the film Sleepless Nights become? Freddy Krueger, slumber party massacre.
0: (laughs) I just thought of like, who's sleepless and, you know, sleepless in Seattle. Freddy Krueger could have been in nightmare on Street. could have been sleepless nights, right? (laughs) Nobody sleeps. Nobody. Right on. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you have anything that we would, you would like us to address or talk about it, we are always open to ideas. Many of our good ideas come from you guys. So thank you so much. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy.
1: Sleep safe, everyone.